Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Owen the Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. With me once again is my co-host, Jack. Jack, you there? I'm here. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. And this week we have a special guest joining us. Uh, it is Jake Hughes from St. Mary's Musings. Jake, how are you doing? Very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on board. It's, uh, it's, I've been looking forward to this for a while, so thanks. Oh, it's great to have you. Uh, it's great to have you on. Um, we are chatting about half an hour after uh, Saints beat Sheffield United three-one in the final game of the season. We'll be recapping uh, that match for about ten minutes, five ten minutes, and then we'll be going on to do uh, a little bit of an end-of-season review. So, looking back at some of the key moments, um, favorite uh, favorite games, stand-up players not named Danny Ings. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, let's just dive straight into the Sheffield United game, really. Slow first half. They, um, yeah, going 1-0 up through Lundstrom, but then an excellent second half. Jake, if I could bring you in first, what was, what was your take on the game? Pretty much that. Um, a flat first half. Um, and we really turned it on in the second half. And as as discouraging and perhaps worrying um, how Jekyll and Hyde our performances can be of late. I, I think it's actually really encouraging that I think Ralph's proven that um, he's either got the tactical now or the players to really turn games around. Um, the second half, I thought we were, well, extremely dominant. Just looking at the uh, stats from BBC, I'm not sure if they differ elsewhere, but we had 73% uh, possession after the game, which is, um, I don't know if we've, sort of racked up a figure like that all season mm. apart from this game. Um, and I don't know what it was, whether Sheffield United just tired or, or what, but we, we just uh, we just were camped in their half, basically. Um, yeah, really satisfying second half. Um, Shay Adams keeps banging them in now. Um, it's just a shame Danny Ings didn't win the golden boot, but um, yeah, no complaints at all. Despite, it was, it was a poor first half, but um, the second half more than made up for that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there and Sheffield United players just looked a bit... I just thought the difference was fitness watching it. I think, especially in that last 20 minutes, Samson were sprinting around the pitch, like even Danny Ings and Shane Long and they came on and just looked like the Sheffield United players were running on empty. Um, and I think defensively, first... Well, in that first half especially, very, very shaky. I think it kind of reinforces the fact that we do need a centre-half and hopefully the Salisie will get announced this week. But um, I just think that first goal, it was such a... It was like you tweeted, Pat. It was a nothing ball into the box and you have to deal with that. If you're the commanding centre-back, you can't get beaten that easily. But um, on a more positive note, McCarthy made a string of brilliant saves. He did make the mistake, which I think we all know. I think he summed up his Southampton career in one game today where he just has that awful passing him but then keeps us in the game um, which you know he needs to work on if he's going to be the number one next season um, and yeah Shay Adams two, another two goals for him four goals since the restart that's more than I was just having a look at the uh, top, top scorer chart and that's more than that's the same as Wilfred Zaha it's the same as Dwight Gale it's two more than Joe Linton it's just <laughs> it's pretty crazy isn't it if he doesn't first goal in July and he's scoring same yeah. amount of those kind of players. But yeah, really, really satisfying and encouraging performance. It was. Um, and and I tweeted at the end of the game, actually, we're all hoping that Danny Ings would be able to to pit or at least um, at least tie Vardy on 23. He ended up getting a late penalty to take him to 22. He had chances in the game, didn't he? It just for some reason, his touch wasn't quite as sharp. I don't know whether he was trying too hard or or what, but it wasn't his best performance. Um, I think we can forgive him, though, because he's been brilliant all season. <laughs> Yeah, if anything, I felt he was quite selfless as well. Um, he uh, the uh, the chance that resulted in the penalty, and I looked like he was shaping up to shoot. I mean, even that managed to still fall to Redmond, um, who probably should have put it away, really. Um, but yeah, even three uh, one up in the sort of dying embers of the game, he would inexplicably like look for a, a pass rather than mm. just even have taken a pot shot from uh, you know awkward angles like it, it, it was um but it was quite nice seeing the rest of the team looked absolutely desperate for him to uh, get another goal but um 
uh, yeah, I feel like he could have actually done more to, um, if he was a bit more selfish, I think he he could have actually at least um, matched Vardy today. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Redmond should have buried that chance when it came to him for the penalty. <laughs> but a word on Redmond, I thought he was one of the one of the better players out there on the pitch. He gets his criticism for not being too direct and not taking people on. But I think you know, he gave, I think it was Bulldog right back, gave him a real torrid afternoon. And I think that's that's the Redmond that we want to see more often. We don't get it every week, but when he when he is direct, he's got the skill, that skill he did in the first half on the left-hand side and he squared it to Adams, I think, it was unbelievable. So he's got that in his locker. Just need to see that a little bit more consistently. But um, I thought he was brilliant. Bromeu, again, I mean, Hoiberg wasn't even on the bench today. It's, it's pretty crazy. Mm. Usually, if, if you're going to sell one of your best players, you kind of think, wow, we're really going to miss him. He hasn't. He's, he's not even on the bench and we're kind of like, you know... Hopefully, going to get some good money for him or get Carl Walker Peters in a deal. But um, I think Romeo has stepped in and it's just brilliant in there alongside Ball Prowse. That's a great point with Redmond as well, Jack. When you mentioned earlier with um, how fit Saints looked, I think Redmond was was the player that looked probably in the best best nick. And because he's so quick, it just, you know, really told. I think so. Yeah. I mean, 18 points from promoted sides. I saw that. We beat Norwich home and away. We've beaten Sheffield United home and away. And the other promoted side... Villa. Villa. Villa yeah. home and away. So I think that's the first time it's ever happened. Yeah, I saw that tweet. I think it was from Tom Murray. Um, mm. Yeah, so as you said, he didn't jinx it. Um, we <laughs> tweeted that before the game. But I mean, that's that's fantastic um, from our point of view. And just on Ings as well, um, finishing on 22 goals... I saw a stat that said that our top top Premier League scorer in our last three seasons had been seven goals. Um, Redmond, <laughs> and then Austin the season after that, and then Ings and Ward Prowse uh, last season. Um, so seven goals had previously been our Premier League top scorer, and now Ings has banged in 22. Um, we'll come on to player of the season. It's obviously him, and we want to kind of name check some other people as well, but but an unbelievable effort from him. Um, and unfortunate, unfortunate that it couldn't happen today um, for him in terms of the golden boot because Vardy didn't score. Um, and Aubameyang, I think, scored two, which which brought him level with Ings. Um, but the only other thing I wanted to mention from the game, which um, which was Vestergaard. <laughs> um, quite, it was tweeted quite a lot um, in the first half. That race with, with Billy Sharp... Um, <laughs> It, it wasn't exactly an Olympic 100-metre sprint, was it? But Vestergaard still somehow came out second uh, up against a 34-year-old um, Billy Sharp. It, it said a lot, didn't it? It did, um, yeah. <laughs> not a whole lot to add to it. It was, it was really <laughs> poor. It's, it's, like, um, it's like he's trying to do everything to not get that move <laughs> since <laughs> the restart. It's just, he hasn't called himself in glory. Obviously, Leicester are linked with him. But like every time I see him, it's just... Not horrendous. I think sometimes we can be too critical, but I think he's showing all the weaknesses that he's got in his pace and then stuff like that. It's just kind of been highlighted in these in these since the project restart. Mm-hmm. So we finished the season in eleventh. Uh, incredible, considering we were in the relegation zone shortly before Christmas. Fifty-two points. I think it's our best points return since Coman was in charge, and we finished sixth. Um, I mean, just in terms of, I wanted you guys to kind of each kind of sum up the season. If I start with you, Jake, I mean, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. But but the the word that came to mind, um, just think, thinking about the season, is encouraged. Um, before the season started, all, all I wanted was Southampton to sort of get back on track with continuous improvement in both performances and and in league position. So. When we were under Nigel Adkins, obviously we got promotion and finished 14th and under Pochettino and finished 8th. Um, and then under Koeman, we finished, what was it, 6th and 5th. So I just wanted to get back on the sort of train of momentum. And uh, we finished 16th last season, 11th this season. So I feel like we're, we're back on track. Um, and just the way we finished the season... Um, considering all, all of the the obstacles, you know, a pandemic can bring, um, really impressed, and um, yeah, after some real 
sort of low points this season, the way we finished it, I, I just I just can't um, feel any other way than sort of really pleased. I think so, yeah. I mean, I'd echo that. It's just when I'm thinking about this season, I just think ups and downs and brilliant spells and absolutely awful spells. But I think <laughs> overall encouraged and I think we can go into next season feeling really, really positive because, I mean, I was... If you if you look at previous seasons under Hughes and under Pellegrino and other managers, I can struggle. I can maybe pick out a, maybe a couple games each season which were memorable, big results away at big teams. But this season we've had some fantastic results against the likes of Chelsea, Man United, Spurs. Gone to Arsenal, got a point, beat Man City, and I think at the end of the day that's what football is all about. We've we've come eleventh in the table, but we've had some brilliant, brilliant games, and I think. Also a very likeable team. I think we've got, we've got a mix of you know experience and youth in there. I think Ralph has to get a lot of credit for bringing in the likes of Smallbone and Oberfemi and Vokins because they've just slotted into that team seamlessly. But I think it's a really likeable team. And um, yeah, feeling positive onwards and upwards for next season. Absolutely. I mean, if I could take you, you both back to the very start, it feels like... A lifetime ago, I think I saw someone say that it's 352 <laughs> days since the season started. So we've nearly gone a full calendar year. Um, obviously, we had that interruption in in in, in the season, um, but it really does feel like a lifetime ago since we lost at Turf Moor to Burnley three um, nil on August 10th. Um, my memories of that game, I remember, I think we were, we were in it and we were pretty competitive until they just scored like three goals in eight minutes or something. Mm. Um, and then I think we lost to Liverpool after that and we got our first win at Brighton. Um, but if you go back and look at those games, I mean, obviously on, on the one hand, it is such a long time ago, um, but we look a completely different team. Um, and, it's, and it's by and large the same squad, um, same manager, obviously, but we look a completely different team. Um, what would you what would you put that down to? It's hard to know. Is it? It, it could be Ralph's worked out a system that that works the you know the, the players at his disposal. It's not a case of um, you know square pegs in, in round holes anymore. It could be the fact that, um, as Jack said, we've had some real decent results this season, and that that brings a, a confidence which we definitely wouldn't have had under. Mark Hughes or Pellegrino, um, and and as you said, Pat, it, it's the same squad we've had the last couple of seasons. Um, it, it's really hard hard to pin it on anything else other than either Ralph coming up with some sort of subtle tactical change, which we can't see uh, from the outside looking in, or what he's already tried to instill is now working. Yeah, I think just those two results, obviously Burnley's a very disappointing first game, losing 3-0. Liverpool losing against them expected. We did go and beat Brighton, draw to Man United and then beat Sheffield United. So not a horrendous first five games. Well, but yeah, it wasn't disastrous. It wasn't was disastrous. It? it was the spell after that, which was disastrous. But I think it just... I don't think Ralph was confident in the system he was playing and the, he wasn't confident in the players in that system. I think, you know, we had Cedric sometimes at left wing back, Valerie at right back, Danso popped up at left wing back a couple of times and it just, I just don't think there was any consistency there. Also, Angus Gunn was in goal. It just looked like we were going to have a different team every week. We, t- we turned on the game today against um, Sheffield United and I text you straight away just saying brilliant team obviously I'd, I'd prefer Bednarak in there but it's just very very settled you know who's going to play and mm. that plays a massive part I mean I think we've all played sport and when there's consistency in the team you just feel much more confident in your role and you're not turning up with a centre midfielder that you're you don't know what he's going to do or a centre-back partner that you're not sure if if you've got a partnership then everything seems to click a little bit more yeah and and in that in those early games as well I don't think Danny Ings wasn't um wasn't starting every game we were kind of still trying to get Adams up and running um little did we know that he wouldn't score until July um, <laughs> but but yeah you mentioned that that kind of horror run we picked up one point from possible 21 between September 20th and November 23rd 
um, and that one point was a was a one all draw at Wolves. Um, sandwiched in there was the result against Leicester, um, <laughs> which everybody likes to mention. Um, but yeah, it didn't really seem to turn around for us until until we went to the Emirates. I think after the international break, um, we got beat by Leicester, and we really looked really really poor against Everton um, at home. I remember that game sticks in the memory. Um, in early November but then we had a little break and we came back to the to the Emirates and we should have won that game um it was only a 96th minute like as that equalizer um that denied us which was kind of further demoralizing after the run that we'd been on um but but looking back now if you look at the results that seems to be something of a turning point because then results picked up over Christmas was yeah. there anything was there anything in particular I mean I think the system changed didn't it and Ralph as as we've already mentioned but they went to kind of his 4222 mm. system and and players started to slot into into their more natural positions um and I guess we 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 seemed to get fitter and stronger and and away from home we we caused a lot of teams a lot of problems Yeah I mean it's safe to say the Leicester game was a a kick up the arse um however it's, it's worth pointing out that the whole Sort of stretch between September and November, um, even with the sort of positive results picked up towards the end, Saints still only, I think it was picked up eight points from a possible thirty mm-hmm. over over those months, which is, you know, shocking by by any team's standards. Uh, but you're right. Um, you know, at the at the time, you know, we, we beat Watford and Norwich while we're sort of firmly in the relegation mire. Um, and I, I believe that that Ralph tactical change or formation change came as a direct result after that Leicester game. Um, mm. So you see the sort of upturn in results, um, and that's probably just coming with time as the, the squad adjusts um, accordingly. But the, you're right; the, the Arsenal performance, as disappointing as it was to sort of throw away a lead so late on, it that was an encouraging sign. Um, and it was obviously those two key wins against Watford and Norwich that came immediately after. That was um, definitely one of the early turning points in Saints' season. I think so. Yeah, I went. I actually, um, I went to that game at the Emirates, and like, like you said before, that we'd lost six out of the last seven games, and I just remember going there thinking that we were going to get battered. There needs to be a small caveat that that was um, under Unai Emery, and I think that might have been his last game in charge. <laughs> That stadium, honestly, I don't think I've ever been to a more toxic stadium at that point. Every pass misplaced, everyone was off their seats. It was just like the atmosphere was horrendous, but that suited us great because all the pressure was off us. But um, yeah, we should have won that game and we played obviously two up front. And I thought what that allows is just it gives Ings more space. If you play Ings up front on his own, he can't occupy any defenders. He likes dropping off. And if you've got a striker that drops off, then your whole team just sits a little bit deeper. If you've got someone like Oberfemi or Ings or Adams running the channels, it just pushes Southampton up the pitch a lot more. So I think, yeah, like you said, that was a big turning point because it was really encouraging. We should have beat them. Buffal had a brilliant chance to seal it and they obviously scored. But um, yeah, beat Watford after that, beat Norwich and things were looking a lot more rosy. Mm. And then a mini reality check, um, losing to Newcastle uh, and to West Ham in back-to-back games. Mm. Um, and, and you kind of, I remember kind of thinking, we, we, we scraped wins against Watford and Norwich. They weren't exactly mm. uh, fluent. And then to go and lose to, to Newcastle and West Ham, I was kind of thinking, oh no, here, here we go again. We're going to go on another terrible run. Um, but Christmas was, was great for us, beating, beating Villa away, beating Chelsea away, beating Leicester away. Um, and then beating Spurs on New Year's Day and the draw against Palace as well. Um, but a lot of people kind of point to that Christmas period as when, as a, as a key moment, just because we picked up so many points. And, and, and the Chelsea game in particular seemed to take me by surprise. I don't know about you, Jake, but that was, that was one of those moments when you think, well, wow, we're actually really, really good away from home. I'm not sure what's going on at home, but away from home, we can give anybody a game. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely unexpected for me. Um, and it, yeah, you're right because because we hadn't picked up many wins full stop. Um, mm. By that time, we still hadn't sort of realised how poor our home form was in comparison to our away form. Um, but as as big the wins were over 
you know, the sort of traditional bigger names in Spurs and Chelsea. It was that Leicester win sort of at the end of the, the early January period, which was, um, I actually wrote down that I feel like that was like the biggest turning point of the season because obviously don't want to go over it, but you know, <laughs> we did get hammered. Um, I like the fact that we still haven't mentioned the scoreline once. So far. <laughs> um, well, yeah. everybody does that for us, don't they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody loves talking about it. So um. <laughs> exactly, but you know the whole the sort of backstory to that game. You know, the Leicester PA and um, you know the big screens before the game had even started are playing highlights with commentary and everything else. And you know the fact we even came from behind to win that game. Um, and it was a late Danny Ings winner as well. It's just all, all of the sort of ingredients to sort of, you know, if, if, there, if there was any any way to prove that you'd got over such a large loss, um, that's that's the way to do it. And 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 the performance suited our win as well. We we were the better team. Um, and I feel like that that result was actually the sort of precursor to Leicester's kind of throwing away um you know, all the good ground they'd made up in the top four run. And I can't say I'm too upset at them missing out on Champions League football. <laughs> I completely forgot that they had played the uh, the 9-0 before the game. But um, yeah, that that um, that did seem like a massive point. It was revenge, wasn't it? And there's that there's that picture of Jack Stevens doing the Aosi Perez celebration, <laughs> which is a classic photo. But um, yeah, what was, that was... I remember that little period is when Ings was on fire and he scored two against Villa. Mm-hmm. Didn't start against Chelsea, against Chelsea, I don't think. Scored against Palace, no, yeah. scored against Spurs and scored obviously the winner against Leicester where he could have got a few. I think he hit the bar twice in that game, but that was when he was scoring goals for fun. Um, but yeah, definitely that Leicester result is a big, big point in the season. By that point, uh, Adams was... Uh... He kind of he'd had his chance in the team, got incredibly unlucky um, early on, and it just wasn't going for him, and he was out of the team. But then he he came back into it for that Leicester one, and I think he was the one that that teed up Ings for the winner, um, a little precursor to what was to come uh, post lockdown, I think, with with that partnership, which we'll come on to. But but all of a sudden now, that's really exciting for us um, going into next season. Those two up front. Um, but yeah, I mean, moving on from there, there wasn't too many games before the season was postponed. Um, but this was a match that I'd completely forgotten about, being 2-0 up against Wolves and throwing it away and losing 3-2. Mm. <laughs> um, really, really good from my point of view that we managed to get that out of our system so quickly because three days later we went to Palace. Um, and again, away from home, put in a really good performance. I know, Jack, you were at that game. Um, but it was nice, I think, to kind of just move on from Wolves because I, that second half meltdown um, could have been damaging. Yeah, and I think I, I remember seeing a, a statistic. I think Bednarak scored twice for us and both games it's been 2-0 up at halftime and lost 3-2. I think he scored against Chelsea <laughs> when we went 2-0 up the season before and lost 3-2, so don't want him on the score sheet too much. Um, but yeah, I went to that Palace game straight after that. Like you said, it was great to be to quickly bounce back from that and that was a... Palace were very, very poor. I think they had Cenk Tosin up front who went through on goal and blazed it. And they just, I'm surprised they aren't, you know, in a bit more trouble. I think they had quite a good period and got out of it. But they, they were poor. Mm-hmm. But I think Armstrong and Redmond both scored screamers in that game. And I think, um, yeah, I think Stuart Armstrong's had a fantastic season. He's added goals to his game now that we always knew he had from Celtic. But he's starting to deliver week in, week out. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a great result. It was. Um... And we followed that up by going to the champions, losing 4-0. Um, it was competitive in the first half, I think. Um, yeah. As competitive as a 4-0 defeat can Should have be. got a penalty. Yeah, I was yeah. on Ings, was it, in yeah. the first half? Yeah. yeah. Um, but this was kind of in the period where, just, just prior to um, the postponement, what uh, is now, looks look, looking back on it, it was, it was a crucial win at the time, and, it, and it's crucial looking back on it, but that win over Villa... Um, 2-0 I think Armstrong sealed it in the last minute because we'd lost to Burnley um, and we'd go on to lose um, to West Ham in, in New- and Newcastle um, around a time when, when all those teams were well West Ham and Newcastle were, were kind of scrapping West Ham particularly um, with us down towards the bottom of the table um, so from, from my side of things I remember going into lockdown on a, on a 
I think Saints went into lockdown on a, on a real low, um, mm. really, with that with that one nil defeat to Newcastle. And Jake, I was wondering from your point of view, what was your, how were you feeling in that kind of period of of the season being postponed? How were you expecting Saints to come out of that? Were you were you nervous about where we were in the league? I think we had thirty four points at the time. Um, or were you relatively confident that you'd seen enough from us in the season so far that that we could get out of um, get out of the trouble? I'd say uh, it's it's tricky. I, I was confident, but I certainly wasn't um, overconfident. the The good thing was our first game back was Norwich, so I, I always felt like that was almost if we can get a decent result. Um, first game back then okay we're fine um and, and we've got obviously just having the, the sort of points advantage over the other teams below us um there's quite a large deficit especially those who are actually in the bottom three it was more i didn't want saints to get sucked back into a relegation fight but um the the sort of nagging feeling in my head was just so, how bad we were against newcastle obviously we weren't helped by the Gineppo sending off um, and any game against West Ham at the moment just seems to be a bit of a write-off. Um, they just they just seem to overpower us, overrun us whenever we play them at a the minute, which is pretty depressing considering how how poor they are against everyone else. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was definitely I didn't. It's, it's true. I don't want to sound like I'm sitting on the fence, but I um I didn't feel like we were going we were going to struggle coming back. Um, but I was also really cautious to be overconfident. Mm. I just kind of pinned how I felt on that one Norwich game. <laughs> that was it. I think, I think me, me and Jack had just lots of conversations um, prior to um, coming back and, and it was, it came down to the Norwich and the Watford games. I think, mm. is that fair to say, Jack, we just, we were just going to wait and see how we performed in those two games because we knew we had that run of tough run of fixtures um, against Everton United and, and City uh, immediately following that. Um, so yeah, a massive weight off the shoulders to beat Norwich three um, nil. I was going into that game expecting them to come out um, and put in a really, really strong performance because they, they, it was their big opportunity, basically. I mean, they were at the mm. bottom of the table. There, I think it was only five points adrift at that point. Um, but they were they were awful, um, and that was perfect, perfect opposition for for us to to restart our season against. Yeah, I mean, we we did the prediction simply before the start of the restart, and I think we we predicted ten or eleven points from from these from these games. We've got eighteen um, mm. out of a possible twenty-seven, so more than both of us expected, but. Uh, yeah, that Norwich game especially, we, we said that they would have targeted that. Playing a mid-table team or a low mid-table team, they needed points, but we, we were just so much better than them on the day. The Arsenal game was a little bit, that was the anomaly, wasn't it, where everything mm-hmm. was just off. Everything was off. Everything was slow. You know, it just looked like nothing was clicking in that game. Hoiberg obviously played it, had an awful back pass, but um, yeah, that's the only blip from from Project Restart. But apart from that, it's been... You know, one of the best like spells of football watching Southampton, both in terms of results and the way we're playing that I can remember in quite a long time. I don't know what your feelings on it on it were, Jake, but um, that one to me kind of there's a lot of talk coming back, uh, football returning that we might be better at home without any fans, <laughs> and that Arsenal game was a bit of a um, slap in the face to to those people that were expecting a better performance because it was the same old um, the same old defending, the same old mistakes that we've been seeing at St Mary's all season long. Um, we've actually done all right since then, beating Man City. Uh, that was a kind of backs-to-the-wall game um, and we did amazing to hang on there. Um, but then today, I mean, it was, it was a, again, same old, same old in the first half, but excellent second-half performance. How do you expect Ralph to go into next season with our home form? It's the kind of one thing that, that we desperately need to figure out um, if we're going to move into the top 10, which I think is going to be the aim for us next year. It's, it's really unclear to me as to what the problem is because, yeah, the, there's it's quite an easy theory to drum up. It's like, oh, well, the home fans aren't supportive enough or, um, you know, the atmosphere's too negative. Um, but, yeah, as you said, like, 
Arsenal have put in some decent performances since the restart, um, but they haven't. While the scoreline suggests they didn't blow us away two nil, I feel feel like performance wise they they were well they were pretty dominant um, against us. Um, but then we have picked up wins against City. Yes, backs to the walls, and you know it's a great result. Um, and the, and there was the win today. I it's still quite patchy form, despite mm. them being positive results. When you when you look on the face of it, I mean, we drew against Brighton. Um, I, I was I, just going to mention the Brighton game, yeah, because it's a one-all draw. We we probably should have won that yeah. at the end. Um, but still, I mean, Brighton at home is a game that shouldn't we shouldn't be going one nil down and kind of scrapping in the second half to get something from. Yeah, exactly. And you could say it's the same with as, as well as Sheffield United have done sort of exceeding expectations this season. The first half reminded me of the, the Brighton first half as well. And I I really didn't see us winning three one today based off of that first half. Um, I, I did think it was a, a repeat of, of Brighton basically. Um, I don't I don't know how a manager can approach something like addressing home form away form I'd say is easier because then you can replicate certain things that you do um, with your home form because it's so good right like yeah. how, how many times do you ever hear of you know this it being this way round um, you know mm-hmm. if your away form's poor you can do things like travel earlier to make sure players you know you can't sort of blame things like um you know, travel impacting players and things like mm. that. There are little measures you can take. Whereas home form, I don't know what you can replicate. Um, I, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily buying into the fact that. Um, I, I think it's more of a. It's definitely more of a tactical issue where obviously away teams are set up to defend rather than and attack us, and I think that's clear just from the the sort of big name scalps we received though we we got over Christmas where teams were attacking us like Chelsea and Spurs. I think our system is uh definitely more catered towards playing teams that want to attack. Um however we also turned over teams that that also tried to defend us since the re- uh, defend against us in the restart as well. So I I I honestly don't know how Ralph can approach it. We I don't know if we have much of a plan B, um, mm. but our plan A is serving us well. And and I'll be honest, if if we can still get positive re- results away like we have this season, I don't think it. I don't think it matters where we where we win or lose, as long mm. as we we win uh, more than we lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think well, I completely agree. I think it's a tactics issue. I don't buy into the theory that it's a. Uh, anything to do with the home fans. If, whenever you hear Hassan Hootel speak, he always talks about, well, he plays down possession. It's not all about possession for him. He's all about pressing and making, forcing the defence into mistakes, forcing the opposition into mistakes. He's not the kind of manager that wants to keep the ball for the whole game. And I think when you're playing at home, teams naturally sit back a little bit, don't they? If, a, if Burnley comes to St Mary's, they're going to be a, a different team than if we're playing them at Turf more because they're going to just put two banks of four and it's going to be break us down. And I think, I don't want to you know, jump the gun, but it looks like we kind of, we have come up with something a little bit different in terms of trying to break these teams down now. I think we are better in possession when before we would maybe pass the ball along the midfield and go absolutely nowhere. It looks like we've got more purpose and more cohesion and players are a little bit more confident when it comes into war prowls. You plays that killer ball around the, around the corner, whereas previously, earlier on in the season, you know, it might have been a hopeless ball, but now he's trying to pick someone out. So I think, I think it's, it's all about the tactics. I think Ralph is fully aware that he needs to work on breaking teams down when they come to St mm. Mary's. So having gone back through uh, most of the games then uh, of the season, Jack, starting with you, pick out a personal, personal highlight or a favourite game. Uh, well, beating Pompey 4 0 in the cup is definitely up there. Of course, um, yep. Like it feels like I can't a believe lifetime. we didn't mention that already. <laughs> feels like a lifetime ago, but that was that was definitely up there. We don't we don't play them often, so to go to go to Fratton Park and put Fort past them was was definitely a special night. But um, I'm going to say a personal highlight for me was the one 0 versus City. 
mm-hmm. you know, recently. I think you know it's been it's been so good watching Southampton since since we've restarted. But I think that was a different type of performance. We were resilient. McCarthy was unbelievable. Bednarak and Stevens were unbelievable. And Shea got his first goal with a forty yard, thirty five forty yard strike. So and it was live on the BBC, so the whole nation could watch it. So <laughs> that was that was probably a, yeah a personal highlight for me. It's a good. Um, you've just reminded me, actually, with the Pompey result. Um, that was back in September. And I think we've already mentioned that Ings was kind of in and out of the team um, in the early weeks of the season. But I need to go back and have a look at it again. But that, that might have been, as, as far as turning points go for him, scoring two in that game, looking as clinical as he did. And fr- from there, I think he really really pushed on um, I'm just going to mm. go back through and see how many goals he scored prior to that but he scored against Liverpool um, mm. and then that was it I think yeah that, that was his only goal of the season um, against Liverpool prior to scoring two against Pompey uh, in the in the Carabao Cup so um, yeah big for him as far as as far as his season goes that was huge um, Jake did you want to pick out a, a personal personal highlight or a favourite game from the season Uh, You'd be surprised to hear that I did put down Portsmouth. (laughs) (laughs) There's no need to elaborate why. Um, All I'm going to say is it couldn't have been much more satisfying than it was. Um, For like a weird sort of obscure um, highlight for me was um, the 2-1 win against Watford. Um, Not long after Leicester uh, came from behind. um, I think it was two goals in five minutes. Um, about 10 minutes left as well. Um, while results didn't necessarily um, pick up massively from there, that did sort of take us into the sort of pre-Christmas period at least. Um, and I felt like that was um, definitely a, a big moment. And and it was at home and it was very, it was there was a big relief um, around St. Mary's. Just, it was a Ward Prowse free kick, if I remember right. Um mm. Uh, which gave us two and win. So yeah, that that was definitely a a, a great moment from this season. Mm. What me, about you, Pat? What's I, your honour? Yeah, I was going to say. I think we've we've picked out some good ones. Obviously, Pompey is there. To pick out a different one, um, Boxing Day at Chelsea. Um, that was very very memorable. Um, I remember watching that game and yeah, Obafemi scoring first half and expecting a second half uh, deluge of Chelsea pressure, and it never really came. And then Redmond. Um, Redmond kind of clipping home the second one. It was just a great, great performance. Really, as we've mentioned already, a really unexpected three points um, that came in the middle of our great Christmas run and kind of gave me a lot of confidence in the fact that, okay, um, I was really pleased when Ralph came in at this time the previous season and kept us up. And I was really, really optimistic about what we could do um, this season and to have that awful run of form and to be kind of mired in the relegation uh, zone for, for so many months of the early season um, to see us kind of turning it around and, and that Chelsea game just stands out to me as a moment where I kind of finished watching a Saints game and was thinking okay we are actually quite a good team um, we've, we've played really really poorly in the, in the past few months but to go to Stamford Bridge and get three points was huge um, so I'd have to say that one probably Mm. <laughs> low lights I mean we're going to mention the 9-0 again I think um, it has to be <laughs> is there anything else I mean any other points in the season um, or, or even just to touch on that one again me and, me and Jake were just talking before we started recording again Opta just tweeted that we've picked up more points than Leicester since that fateful Friday night so a, sm- a positive to come from that game is yeah we've got 44 points since since October twenty. 20- fifth um, and they've got 42 um, so yeah they bottled the Champions League today um, but yeah Jack if I start with you first um, anything else you wanted to say on the 9-0 or did you want to pick out a different game? Nothing else to say on the 9-0 um, <laughs> I'll say I'll say losing, losing to Burnley at home I, I remember that game it was on BT Sport and it was the weather was horrendous it was like gale force whims down at St Mary's it, it might not. We weren't on like a horrendous run. We just lost to Liverpool, but we'd beaten Palace prior to that, and we beat Villa after that. But just that game, personally, just remember it being awful. I think Carl Walker Peters made his debut in that game, and Chris Wood was just pulling onto him constantly. He had a like a ridiculously hard afternoon, but uh, yeah, that was a very disappointing result. 
we'll come on to him. But yeah, that, that, that was right. It was his, it was his debut um, that game, and he, I think when we signed him, he wasn't fully fit, and he didn't really look fully fit in that game either. And he had a mm. difficult afternoon. Um, Jake, from from your point of view, uh, any other games that you kind of look back on and go, oh god, we were we were awful. Um, that that home loss to Bournemouth was particularly bad. Oh yes, yes. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and obviously that was in the lead up right to uh, the Portsmouth game. Yeah, and uh, that gave me sort of untold amounts of anxiety of uh, loss <laughs> against uh, a uh, a South Coast rival. Yeah, um, that's yeah, a good that, one. That, was, that was awful. That was bad. That was horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're another one. They they picked up so many points in the early weeks of the season. And then have just gone on a horrendous run. They've, I mean, they gave themselves a chance today, but um, they've gone down, obviously. Um, but yeah, I wanted to move on. I'm trying to got a few things to get through. Standout player of the season. It can only be one person. Uh, Danny Ings with 22 goals to his name. We wanted to make this uh, a little bit more difficult, so I'm going to ask you to pick someone other than Danny Ings as your standout player of the season. Jake, starting with you. Um, so it actually really pleases me to say James Ward-Prowse because um, I haven't always been his biggest fan um, in all honesty um, I, I feel like especially since um, the large loss that we, we had which I won't sort of go into any detail whatsoever about um, I feel like he's really stepped up in both leadership and goals um, I mentioned earlier that the Watford home win um, and he's definitely picked up a few more since either free kicks or penalties or rebounds from penalties. Um, but I feel like more his his general play in midfield kind of sets the tone of how Southampton play in general. He's pretty tenacious. He's turned into a bit of a box-to-box midfielder. And he's I never thought he had um, like a robust challenge in him, but he, he really sort of puts it about now. Um mm. He's smart. He's a real smart player. The way he sort of plays so cynically against Wilfred Zaha is like, <laughs> and now like a regular season highlight just to see what will happen between them two. Um, and uh, obviously now he's got the captain's armband um, and I feel like he's he's the right player to have it. Um, I feel like he's improved immeasurably under... Um, Ralph and uh, I hope it continues mm. I'll just I'll go next actually because I just want to piggyback on that um, he was my player as well that I was going to pick uh, played every minute of every Premier League game uh, this season and I think what you just touched on there is really interesting that you I think a lot of people had doubts over his ability to play in the middle of midfield and I think I think Ralph was probably one of those people as well because I remember in the in the early days of of, um, of his managerial spell he, he'd be he'd be playing on the right um, or he'd be playing in that kind of Stuart Armstrong role um, and it wouldn't necessarily be Ward-Prowse as one of the midfield two in Ralph's system because I think he also had those those similar doubts over his ability to to compete in a in a Premier League midfield but he has he's made that role his own now to the point where like we've already mentioned Hoiberg wasn't even in the matchday squad today but that's because Ward-Prowse is playing so well in midfield I think he's his game has gone to another level since he took the captain's armband as well, which is uh, an- another massive uh, plus um, as far as his performance goes this season to, to take that responsibility on um, and to put in the performances that he's done um, is a credit to him. Like you said as well, Jake, he's scored some big goals for us in both Watford games. Um, his his set-piece delivery, I think we need to make more of, of corners definitely next mm. season. Um, but he's he's adding goals from free kicks himself. Um, so yeah, there was a story actually that that broke during the game today um, about him signing a new five year deal. Um, now that was in the Telegraph. I uh, haven't seen it anywhere else, so I guess we'll wait and see on that one. Um, but it would make sense, I think, for Southampton to try and tie him down to a new contract. He's, he had two years, or he has two years left on his current deal. Um, just been made the captain. I wouldn't be surprised if they were going to bump him up to one of the club's highest earners alongside the likes of Ings and, and Fraser Forster, who I think is one, still one of the top earners. Um, but that would make complete sense. You make him the captain 
um, and he's one of our key players now. So it'd be another boost, I think, if, if we can get him down to a, to a new five-year contract, which is what the Telegraph are reporting. That'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jack, did you have a different name in mind or are you going to say JWP as well? <laughs> I do have a different name. Will Prowse, was, uh, he was up there for me. And I think, yeah, he's he, just like a dream player to have in your team. I think that stat about playing every minute of the Premier League season is unbelievable. Maybe you'd see a centre-half get that, but for a centre-midfielder that puts in the, the kilometres that he does is ridiculous. But um, I'm going to say Jack Stevens is my player of the year, if not Danny Ings. But um, I'm giving it Stevens just because, I'm going to be completely honest, I think back in maybe 2016, 17, I thought he was no more than a squad player. That, that was my opinion of Stevens. He would maybe play in the... In the, Carling, in the Carabao Cup or he'd maybe play in the odd game here and there but we did have brilliant centre-backs at the time we had obviously like the Van Dykes and the Alderweireds and Fontes that would make it very hard to break into the team but I just still wasn't convinced when I saw him this season however I think he's made that position his own I think that partnership with him and Bednarak has been you know they've had their they've had their wobbles they haven't, I'm not saying they've been brilliant the whole season but I think he's really really raised his game and I think you can tell that he has played part of his career in midfield because he has that ability to bring it out of the defence that other other centre-halves don't. And I think that's so, so crucial for Southampton to, when teams are pressing us, Jack, Jack can bring it out and play it to Walker-Peters or he can play it to Bertrand easier than the likes of Vestergaard can. Mm. But um, yeah, I was just having a look at his season. He got nominated for the Player of the Month, the Premier League Player of the Month in January when he got, he got two assists in that month and... We had a few clean sheets as well. So I think he, yeah, I think he's been brilliant. And obviously we do need a new centre-half and I think we're going to get Salasu, but it'll be interesting to see who he, who he partners because I don't think you can really drop him after what has been a brilliant season. Mm. Yeah, I mean, with Salasu coming in, he's, he's only 21 of that, yeah. that deal and it sounds like it's done. Um, but if it gets confirmed in the next week or so, he's only 21. So I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't necessarily slot straight into the starting lineup, and again, as you say, that's probably because Stevens and Bednarak are, have um, have done very, very well um, when they played together recently. Um, mm. Moving on to transfers, then you're Ralph Hassenhutl. Any players that you've you've seen enough of now? Um, he's been manager of us for best part of eighteen months. The squad has largely remained unchanged, but is there anyone, Jake? I'll start with you that you think might be might be moved on in this short break that we've got in between seasons uh an obvious an obvious one is Hoyberg, of course mm-hmm. um but just from you know even if um we, there wasn't all this talk about everton transfer bids and spurs being interested i think the last few games have shown that we don't really miss him um mm-hmm. starting at least in in central midfield um so aside from Hoyberg. I think we should, I'm hesitant to release players for the sake of it because I, I feel like our squad in general is paper thin. Um, but any sort of, you know, big money players which we've struggled to get rid of in the past, I think we should just sort of suck it up, take the loss and try and get, get them off the wage bill. Mm-hmm. Fraser Forster was mentioned earlier. Uh, Wesley Hoot still on the books. Um, and just for you know, and maybe a slightly more controversial one. Um, as much as I like him, um, Sofian Buffal, I feel like Ralph's seen enough of him now and he's still not getting anywhere close to the first team unless it's a, a cup game, if that. Um, so if there's enough interest or money being offered, I, I could see him going. Jack, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, completely agree. I think, I think obviously Vestergaard is one that's, going to leave and we're going to replace him so that's brilliant and I had Buffal down as well and <clears throat> while he has had some big big highlights in the Saints shirt they're so few and far between aren't they they're once a season and um, I think we've obviously brought in Musa Gineppo who's a you know a very exciting player and he's, if he's fit he can be you know a brilliant player to replace um, Redmond or come off the bench or start instead of Armstrong so I think yeah I, I would say Buffal hasn't hasn't done enough to. Uh, I think if an offer came in for him, I think we'd be silly not to take it if it's decent decent money because he, he's not crucial to our team. And when he comes on, he doesn't make us that much better, in my opinion. Mm. And in terms of incomings, 
we've already mentioned Salah, so it sounds like it's all but done. Um, but I guess Walker Peters is the other one that Jake, I, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it. But most fans now have been completely won over by his performances at right back. Where do you stand on Walker Peters? Uh, I really like him. Um, as Jack, you mentioned earlier, his first game where he, he was half fit, if that, mm. um, there was a lot of doubters about him uh, from the very get-go, unfairly so. Mm. Um, I feel like he's proved how how uh, how big an impact he can have in this Saints team. And I feel he's a must-buy at this stage. Um, I think that transfer easily would easily address um, a long-standing issue we've had at right back, um, even with you know, Cedric uh, knocking about. Um, what I'd like to see is, um, obviously there's, there's a lot of talk about Hoiberg going. Um, I'd, li- I'd like to see us uh, bring in another central midfielder. Um, I think even if, for whatever reason, he were to stay, I'd like us to bring another central midfielder in. Um, I know that Romeo's done really well um, standing in Hoiberg's place. Um, but I do feel like we're one injury away. I know Smallbone, um, Smallbone's sort of waiting in the wings, but I feel like we're one injury away from uh, looking really, really um, short in that area. Um, and just having the extra option uh, and even maybe an improvement in quality there um, would, would do us well. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, it sounds like, again, Hoiberg is off. And in, in that case, there's been talk of potentially Harrison Reed um, returning from from Fulham, depending on whether they get promoted or not, I think will impact whether they try to sign him. Um, but he could be one for us to to look at. Otherwise, I think we we desperately need uh, to strengthen our central midfield. As good as Will Prowse and Romeo have been, I agree with you 100%. We are one injury away. Um, Smallbone, I just wanted a quick word on Smallbone. Um, I think he got the assist today um, for Adam's first goal. Been impressed with, he's probably the, the, the youngster that's come through and made the biggest impact at Saints under Ralph this season. Been impressed with him, Joe? I have, yeah. I mean, we spoke about him before, but I think he's got a lot of qualities in there. And I think he's been playing on the right just because we would be a little bit too lightweight if it was him and Ward Prowse playing as a central midfield too. I think they finished the game today as a pairing uh, when Romeo came off just to test it out. But I think against other Premier League teams, that is a, is a, you know, we might get dominated a little bit, but I think he's he's uh, he's been brilliant on that right hand side. And when he comes in, he allows Walker Peters to bomb down the right, down that right, and uh, obviously acts as like a another winger. But his his link up play he got the assist today, as you said, and he's got assists in games previous before this. But I think he's he's massively impressed, and yeah, probably the youngster that I would say has got like, got the brightest future at this point. Mm. Sheffield United weren't very good today, but I was impressed with Smallburn when mm. he came in when he came on. Um, Armstrong's mm. a big loss to go off after 20 minutes, and he came in and he's, like you said, he plays on that right, but he plays. He's got so much freedom. It seemed like, or he definitely did today. Had a lot of freedom to come in and influence yeah. the game um, from that flank. Um, a final word, I think, for our striker options because Shane Long signed a new deal. Um, we've got Obafemi as the kind of young option. We've got Danny Ings as the main man. Uh, but one of the huge, huge pluses of the last nine games has been the emergence of Che Adams, the goal scorer. <laughs> um, four goals since the restart, two um, today against Sheffield United. He had a great pre-season when he joined us. There was a lot of excitement, £15 million from Birmingham City. He scored after two minutes on his pre-season debut uh, and then didn't score a competitive goal for Saints for best part of the year <laughs> until July this uh, this year um, but he looks he looks the perfect partner for Danny Ings and I think I tweeted about it during the game but everybody knows the qualities that Shane Long brings to the team but that's what it looks like when you've got a kind of second goal threat alongside Ings because I, I guess Long's main benefit is that he allows Ings to score more goals I mean that's the that's what many people say in terms of putting a, a positive next to Long's name because he doesn't score many. But if we had that second option as a goal threat up front, I think that adds an extra dimension to our team next season. Um, Jake, what what has your take been on the roller coaster that has been Che Adams' season uh, at Saints? 
you did very well to remind me that he, he had a really <laughs> good uh, pre-season. It seems so long yeah. ago now. Um, but yeah, not, not only is he now scoring goals, but I, I think the one thing that's always there is, is the work rate. And it's um, sort of it's comparable to Long's. It was the, the Chelsea away game, which I think Jack mentioned earlier, where Adams came on. I don't know whether he started or... Um, yeah. I think he did. I think it was yeah. him and Obafemi up front. Yeah, it was them too. And then, uh, yeah, he he was basically the he was the sort of talisman of that that Saints performance. He he was playing as like a box to box forward, um, and it, absolutely tireless as well. Um, so so where the quality has been lacking, and I've always put that down to you know a confidence issue rather than you know ability. Um, I always. I was always happy. I, I never sort of saw him as a flop. And I, I was always confident that he, he'd come good at some stage. Um, I didn't expect it to that to happen in the way it did against City in, in that style. Um, but yeah, uh, today he looked, he looked lethal. Um, yeah. And long may that I think, continue. Yeah. We said it last week, didn't we, Pat? The, the thing that's encouraging with Shea Adams is that every time he's on the pitch, he has chances. It's not like he's the ball's just missing him in the box. He's having shots. And I think you know, earlier on in the season, the one that sticks in my mind is that strike against Sheffield United away when he hit the post. How different the season could have been if that went in off the post yes. and he went on a little bit of a run. Unfortunately, it didn't. Um, and everyone knows that he really struggled to score this season. But today, I think he's just taken his chances early and he's not thinking about it too much. That that first goal, I think Henderson would be very, very disappointed he didn't save it. But I wasn't expecting him to take that really quick touch and hit it. It looked like quite strange for a striker to take it so early but that was obviously the reason why he scored and I think he's just trusting his instincts now that obviously he's got he scored a lot of goals in the championship and I'm really excited to see you know another pre-season between him and Ings and to develop that partnership yeah definitely um so our away form is spectacular our home form has been terrible where are we aiming for next season I think in my mind we should be aiming top 10 um, if we can fix that home form um, I think the away form probably will revert a little bit just because I mean it'd be amazing if it was as good again next season um, as it was this but if, if we say there's a little bit of a balancing out between the two um, and we're, we're better at home we should be pushing into the top 10 we finished 11th this year 52 points is in the past I mean I remember under well we had 46 points and finished eighth mm. I think um, so a very very positive season overall but we should be challenging the likes of well we should be Sheffield United as we've beaten them today Burnley are ahead of us Arsenal finished eighth and you've got kind of Wolves Spurs we should be kind of trying to trying to push on into that kind of eighth position I think Jack what do you yeah, think? Yeah I think that has to be the target we've, 11th this season has been a great turnaround but we've got to try and break into that top 10 like you said those two clubs directly above us, Sheffield United and Burnley have to be the immediate targets. I think Arsenal are only going to get better, in my opinion, with Arteta. Um, Everton, you can expect them to spend a lot of money. I'd be very surprised if they came bottom half again next season because I think that team's going to be completely changed up. But apart from that, you know, you look you look below us and I'm confident with the signings that we're going to make that we can stay above the likes of Newcastle and Brighton and West Ham and Villa. And it's just about trying to drag those teams down um, above us. But yeah, eighth. Eighth should be the target, in my opinion. Jake, can you make a prediction for next season? <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, as I sort of going back to the beginning of this podcast, I, I all I wanted from this season was continuous improvement, um, just to be on that trajectory. And uh, as you say, I think a top 10 finish is um, well, obviously will be an improvement for next season. And I think that's what we should be aiming for. Um, as Jack alluded to, I think it'll be much more difficult next season. Um, Everton haven't had a good season by any means. Um, it'll be Ancelotti's first full season with Everton as well. And I can't see him um, mm. not doing well there, especially with the resources uh, they have um, as a club. Um and also, yeah, there'll be a turnaround of the teams we 
be aiming to fight against, you know, Arsenal haven't been great the last few seasons. They will be better next season. I expect the same of Spurs as well. Um, and I think Wolves are probably just a bit beyond us at the moment. So, um, yeah, as long as we're fighting teams like Everton, Burnley, um, Sheffield United, um, if if they can sort of maintain the same performances they had last season, I'd, I'd be happy. I just want us to be well clear of that sort of relegation-threatened mm-hmm. pack, which um, we were a part of um, for much of this season. Absolutely, yeah. Plenty to look forward to to next season. Um, the way that we finished it uh, over the last kind of nine games or so has been fantastic. I wanted to have a quick word on Adam Lalana because uh, the other day it was it was reported. Um, I think I saw it in the Athletic that he would be returning to the South Coast. He's going to be playing for Brighton. Um, I don't think it's been confirmed yet, but it seems it seems a done deal. Um, Jack, your immediate thoughts on Lalana returning uh, down south, playing for Brighton. Uh, the article that I read um, was 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 by the Brighton correspondent and seemed to be making a case that it was uh, a great signing for them and was kind of a stepping stone towards them uh, having the similar target to us, basically, as establishing themselves mm. as a top 10 team. What are your thoughts on, on that? Um, well, to be completely honest, Adam Lallana is one of my favourite ever Southampton players just because I've in that period from 2008-2014, I think, when he, when he left, he was one of our most consistent performers and just so exciting to watch. I remember that, that Cruyff turn skill that he had, it just seemed like everyone in St. Mary's knew what he was going to do, but the, the opposition... Didn't. He loved that. He loved <laughs> it. He absolutely loved it. And everyone knew what he was going to do, but the defender didn't and he'd do him every time. And uh, yeah, he was just like a really, really exciting player. And he formed that partnership with Lambert and J-Rod, which was amazing. And all three of them deservedly got into the England team. Um, so yeah, I'm a massive fan of Lalana. It will be definitely weird seeing him in a Brighton shirt, um, but I'm I'm not convinced that it's the signing that they're making it out to be. I know you said that athletic correspondent is talking about it like it's going to really cement them in the Premier League. But he's 32. I don't think he's played a full 90 minutes for years. But um, I think good luck. Good luck to him. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah, there was talk about. I don't think Southampton were ever 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 interested in bringing him back mm. um, but it was one of those kind of social media things where it was talked about because he was available on a free um, from Liverpool and I think it sounds like Leicester were never interested in, in him as well and there was that link with Brendan Rodgers as the manager that brought him to Liverpool um, so I just thought it was interesting that it, he, he is coming uh, back to the south coast but it's with Brighton. Mm. Um, Jake your thoughts on Lalana and, and how he'll get on down there? Um, if he stays fit uh, I think he would he'd be a, a decent player under Graham Potter. He, he Graham Potter's you know has a possession based style which um, suits Lana to a T. Is is how we played um, rising up the leagues and in the in the early sort of Premier League days when we'd returned. Um, and and like Jack said, good luck to him. I, I'm at the point where uh, I don't really have the energy to dislike many of the uh, sort of Saints turncoats who went to Liverpool. Uh, there's probably only a, a couple I still you know, don't have much time for, but um, I find the whole crying about Jordan Henderson stuff weird from Lalana, but um, Agree. Yeah, I, I, wish, I wish him luck at Brighton. <laughs> and, and to be fair, he leaves Liverpool with a Champions League and a Premier League winner's medal. Mm. Uh, so you can't, I don't know, you can't, you can't hold move against him at this stage I don't no. think no absolutely I mean from, just from my my point of view very I, I tweeted about it again happy that we didn't put our hand up uh, for him because as Jack as you said he's 32 years old I think he struggles to stay to stay fit um, and he wouldn't really fit into the the type of signings that Ralph has made since he's he's been manager um, but yeah no best of luck to him um, it'll, it'll be something to watch for sure um, next season and it, it will be very weird seeing him in a Brighton shirt um, but yeah we'll see how he gets on um, well Jake thank you very much for joining us uh, today it's been it's been a pleasure to talk to you and we'll have to try and get you on uh, a few more times between now uh, and, and potentially next season as well I'd love to I've really enjoyed this so thank you for having me on 
no it's been it's been brilliant i mean just to kind of let let people know what to expect from us um between now and september 12th which uh, is when the season's going to be uh, starting um again we will we might take a little mini break um but we will still be doing podcasts most weeks um we're trying to get a few interviews lined up and we might have a little quiz next week and then before you know it it'll be pre-season so um we'll, we'll be doing content for sure during pre-season and the build-up to to the new campaign um we also put out something today on twitter and instagram um where we are looking for contributors um to join us uh, next season so if that sounds like it could be you we're looking for saints fans um and and ones potentially that have an interest uh, in working in media may already be working in media or just interested in a career in media um we want to hear from you so reach out to us just just drop us a dm on twitter uh, or Instagram and yeah we'll, we'll hopefully build up a little pool of contributors for next season uh, and keep this going from strength to strength um, but that's it from us Jack thank you for joining me again today uh, fantastic way to to finish the season with three points at home yeah yeah it's been great I mean we started this podcast in March and it was a little bit nervy wasn't it thinking are we going to start a podcast and go down to the championship but, <laughs> but- I, it crossed my mind several times that I'd started a podcast and we were about to get really good, yeah. uh, And that's not even mentioning the pandemic. <laughs> that's true. I st- yeah, that's true. I started the podcast. Like, I think I, the Twitter account launched on February 29th and then 10 days later, um, the season was postponed. <laughs> so not ideal timing, but we made it work. We got there in the end and I managed to get through it with a few interviews and, and bits and pieces. But yeah. yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I've enjoyed it. And yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Yeah, echo that. Thank you for listening, Jake. Thank you again for joining us. And uh, yeah, look forward to, to getting you on again. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure.